All right, guys. Well, good morning. Hey, we're going to be in Luke. We're finishing chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 39. And we're going to go to 52. And the title is Growing Up. Growing Up. Luke 2, 39 to 52. And it's a blessing to see, to see things grow up. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it could be a blessing. And at the same time, it can be kind of difficult as well. Uh, see, if you maybe have a puppy, you know, you love the puppy. It's so incredibly cute, right? When you first get a like, little puppy, it's just valuable and precious. But then it grows up, and it's a blessing to have a dog and play catch with him and all. But at the same time, you miss that small puppy with the big eyes, you know, looking at you innocently. Uh, or think of babies, you know. I was watching my girls play baseball yesterday, and uh, they both had games. And I wanted to, I, I seriously, and I'm admitting this, don't tell anyone, but I really wanted to cry just watching them. Because I'm like, because they're growing up. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And this, this, weird, this, emo, this weird emotion came over me. Like, why do I want to cry? My, my wife thinks I'm getting uh, more sentimental as I age. But, but I was really just looking at them. And I, and I do miss when they were babies. And, and now all these social media platforms have these memories, right? And they're both a blessing. And I, I don't like them too because I'm like, oh, I miss that. You know, five years ago they were so small. But you watch them grow up. You watch your kids grow up, your pets grow up. It's a blessing, but you miss the past at times. And I, and I think of Mary and the Messiah as a baby, and she took care of Jesus, protected him, and nurtured him. And as he grew up, he began clearly fulfilling God's calling as he was expounding on scriptures in the temple. And I mean, from Mary's perspective, he was growing up, and for a mom, that can be tough, but ultimately what it would lead to was a road to redemption. Like he was growing up, and that's what we're going to see with Jesus. But we're also going to see a very clear parallel about growing spiritually. Like we should desire to pursue God and grow spiritually and, and have faith and have that faith flourish. And so we're going to look at all that this morning, but let's uh, pray and then we'll get into the word. Well, again, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you even uh, as your word says, you, you hold your word higher than your name, even. That's powerful. We just thank you for your truth, Lord. We pray that you would speak your truth into our hearts, Lord. And it wouldn't stop there, Lord, but it flowed through us. God, in our words and actions, our reactions, the way we live, the way we walk, Lord, and, and, the, and who we are, really. We just pray for that transform, transformation, Lord, that comes by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first thing we see is wisdom and grace. So Luke chapter 2, verse 39 and 40 says, so when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Luke really emphasizes here that Jesus was completely obedient to God. And that's what the Christian life is about, right? About obedience to the Lord. And the trippy thing is that Jesus grew and developed as other children. I don't know about you guys, but that like blows my mind. I mean, but think of this, his spiritual development is mentioned before his physical development. It has been said that Jesus was aware of his identity and calling appropriate to his age of development. But think of Mary and Joseph in the context of their child's development. As parents, you know, that's what we want. We want our children to be strong in spirit and filled with wisdom. Thomas Fuller, an author and a historian who lived during the 1600s, he said, the fool wanders, the wise man travels. I love that. The fool wanders, the wise man travels. See, there was nothing like random 
about Jesus, like where he went, what he said, for he fed off of God's wisdom. He was led by God, and he's our example. Jesus didn't wander, but he was led by God to share truth, and people were in wonderment. They were amazed and astonished, like, who is this? But it's interesting to think that Jesus actually grew in wisdom. God perfectly imparted wisdom to him, appropriate to his age. And it reminds me of Proverbs 9.10, which says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I love that Jesus was obedient to God and had the wisdom of God, meaning he lived out what God laid out. And I was just thinking that over and over again. I'm like, yes, yes, we have to live out what God lays out. He lays out what? Well, he, he, we have his word. <laughs> he lays out a lot, right? A lot of truth. So we get to live out what he lays out. But, but, you know, how do you know you're actually growing in wisdom? Like, how do you know? Well, you know you're growing in wisdom, first of all, if you're in God's word and actively doing what it says. It's easy to hear and say, okay, yeah, okay, uh-huh. Kind of like when I, we tell our kids stuff. They're like, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then beginning of the day. End of the day, their room's still dirty. But you nodded, and you said, okay. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And then the next day, it's, still, it's, like, it's easy to say, but it's another thing to take action and do. But it's pretty simple to say that. It's another thing to practice it. It's, it's easy to read what God wants, right? It's more difficult to implement what he says. But in order for knowledge to progress to wisdom, action has to be taken. In order for knowledge to progress to wisdom, action has to be taken. Jesus grew in wisdom. He was perfectly obedient to the Lord. And there's more. Luke writes, the grace of God was upon him. So what this means is that the goodness of God was upon Jesus, even as a child. And here's the, the thing. like Some would think about and postulate and wonder, well, and even hypothesize about, what happened in Jesus' early childhood? There's all those years, and we have very little of what happened. There's a lot of weird assumptions, actually, that are not biblical at all. There's actually some writings called the, uh, the infancy gospels that are about Jesus. And these are unbiblical gospels, but it, it talks about how Jesus, right after he was born in the manger as a baby, right after he was born, he was speaking. Imagine that, <laughs> having a baby, and they're just like <laughs> talking to you. It also, in these Gospels, says Jesus healed a man who was made into a mule. It says Jesus brought, uh, brought clay birds to life by clapping his hands. It says Jesus healed people by sprinkling them with dirty bath water. How would you like that? It's like, what? All kinds of weird things, right? But there are certain criteria you use like, to determine which books were included in the 66 books of the Bible, and that's a sermon for another time. But... There are extra-biblical like, writings that were produced during the first century that are not inspired. But the biblical canon, the 66 books, they're all here. And the Holy Spirit saw fit to include these, and this is a complete work from God. But the most important thing that we need to know about Jesus growing up is that he was strong in spirit, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. God's grace is upon all who walk with him and live for him. Grace is unearned, it's unmerited, it's undeserved favor, and it speaks of his goodness. And I love what one commentator said. He said, God's grace flows from the essence of his being. God's grace flows from the essence of his being. 
And I really believe Exodus 34, 6 explained it clearly when God cut two stones and made two new tablets as God was directing Moses. Exodus 34, 6 says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Long-suffering means he suffers long with us, meaning we mess up, but the Lord stays with us undeservedly. I mean, wow, it's like, thank you, Lord. But again, this all speaks of his goodness towards those who believe. So we see wisdom and grace, number one. Number two, we see seeking Jesus in verse 41 to 45. Seeking Jesus. It says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. Verse 45. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. It's kind of like when you have kids and you're younger, maybe you, you know, before Amazon used to go to the mall, I don't know if anyone remembers that, <laughs> before you just order stuff on your phone and got it the next day, you went to the mall, and, and, and the, your kids would like hide inside like the shirt racks or, or something, and you're like, where are you, freaking out, you know? Oh man, it's like that feeling is not good, if you remember that, it is not good. For the kid, they're laughing when they find you, or when, yeah, when, they, when you find them, but it's like, it's a, it's a serious thing, it's like, where's my kids? But at this time, it was actually customary for the faithful of God to make these pilgrimages at feast times and in large groups. And attendance at these feasts were actually commanded by God in Exodus and Deuteronomy. But the men were required to go to three annual feasts and devout women as well when they could join their husbands. And so when people traveled to the festivals in Jerusalem, they would do so in like a community or a group with the women and the children leading the way so none would be left behind. The women and children would go first and far ahead, and the men would usually leave about a day or two later, and they'd arrive at the same time at the destination. Uh, moms, you know how hard it is to round your kids up and get them in the van to go somewhere. <laughs> it doesn't, the guy, you know, the husband's like, I'm ready to go. And you're just like, oh, I forgot my shoes, I forgot this. Oh, and right when you're ready to go, they're like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. You're like, really? <laughs> you had like 30 minutes. But anyway, that's why the women and children went ahead, and the guys would go a couple days later, so they would arrive at the destination at the same time. But Mary and Joseph, they easily could have assumed Jesus was traveling out of Jerusalem with cousins or other family members because he was only 12 years old. And they weren't aware that Jesus stayed back in Jerusalem to actually teach in the temple at preteen, 12 years old. So it's not hard to understand how Jesus' parents lost Jesus, and they could have assumed he was just traveling with cousins or other family members ahead of them. But this was part of the cultural norm. So Jesus was 12 years old, and this was the first recorded time he was taken up to Jerusalem uh, for the feast. He already had the scriptures in his heart. No doubt his mother and Joseph were devout and taught him as well. But I would just say never undervalue the importance of discipling our kids. You know, praying with them, reading and teaching them scripture. And notice that Mary is, is referred to as Jesus' mother, but Joseph was never referred to as Jesus' father. Why? Because God was his father. But Mary and Joseph, they made an effort, the effort to seek Jesus. They came from the Passover, uh, which spoke directly of Jesus, the Passover lamb. But they didn't perceive he wasn't with them. And it's, it's kind of like believers today. 
We can easily go through the motions, go to church, sing the songs, but our hearts could still be far from God. They sought Jesus, and there's a real parallel, I, I think, spiritually here. I'm just going to give you a few verses. Uh, Psalm 119.2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Colossians 3.1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. I mean, we are saved, set apart, but we also are to continually pursue God or draw near to him, like James writes. And so, verse 45, they turned back again. They went to Jerusalem to find Jesus. And there's a, pin, a principle throughout the Bible that if you, if you feel out of touch with Jesus or you're wondering, like, where are you? Where are you, Lord? Go back to where you saw him last. Go back to where you saw him last. It's, it's like the church in Ephesus in Revelation. Like, they were charged to repent and do the first works again. Maybe you used to get up early and read the word and pray, but it's been a while. And you feel far from Jesus. You know, go back and start doing that again. I just started driving again after two months of not being able to drive because of my accident and the tests they had to do. And I drove for the first time uh, this last Thursday morning, and I prayed and praised God like crazy. I was like, well, I'm free. I can actually do this. I remember, though, when I started driving right away, that driving was my mountaintop. You know, it was kind of like, it was where I went to and prayed. Like, as I'm driving, I would just seek the Lord. I remember how I loved praying. Well, that was my best praying time when I was just driving, you know, me and the Lord. And it was so refreshing because I went back to what I did before the accident. Now, I didn't, you know, say, you know, I'm not praying for the next two months. I didn't do that, but I just was reminded uh, that's what I used to do. I, I even had to stop. I have a podcast called The Drive, and I, it would be this thing I recorded when I was driving. But I went back to what I used to do, and it was so spiritually refreshing. Seeking Jesus is what we're called to do on a daily basis. But physically, this is what Mary and Joseph were doing, because they're like, where did he go? So they're seeking Jesus. And verse 46 to 50, we see kingdom work now. This is pretty awesome. Verse 46 to 50 says, Now it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why do you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. So for three days, Jesus was teaching in the temple, like astonishing the people. Anytime you see three days in the Bible, it speaks of resurrection. And like Mary and Joseph, the disciples thought they had lost Jesus in Luke 24. Remember, like, they thought they lost him. Like Mary and Joseph, the women at the empty tomb, they did not know where to find him. But unlike Mary and Joseph, after three days, they didn't find Jesus, yet Jesus found them. And the Lord pursues people, right? How amazing is that? And in verse 46, the word teacher means rabbis or theologians or scholars, and now notice that Jesus says what Jesus says when his parents find him. I must be about my father's business. Like, don't you know? 
Now, this isn't some snide remark Jesus made. Like on the outset, if you just read it with no context or or cultural first century background, you're just like, wow, that was kind of a snide remark. It's not. Like it was actually customary in this culture for a boy of 12 years old to start taking up his father's business. So this wasn't a statement out of thin air. This wasn't an irritated remark like a preteen to their parents would say. It wasn't like, I'm about my father's business, come on. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was cultural in the East, actually. And what's interesting is that these are the first recorded words of Jesus. The words actually imply that Jesus' parents did know that he had a special relationship with the father. It, it, it connotes that this was a topic of discussion in the home and well-known at this point. They didn't fully know. They were still coming to an understanding themselves. But Mary referred to Joseph as Jesus' father. So Jesus gives a reminder to his mother. He said, I must be about my father's, capital F, father's business, speaking of God the Father. So in verse 49, the word must is very important too, the word must. Three times Jesus used the word must in the Gospel of Luke. He stated, I must preach. He stated, I must suffer many things. He stated, I must be about my father's business. I must preach, suffer, do the work of my father. These were the three actions that Jesus had to do while on this earth, preach, suffer, and serve the father. And even Mary and Joseph heard Jesus explain some things to them, but I wonder how much they really understood. But but Jesus never hammered the point home and explained things ten times to them as far as what's recorded but he let the statement stand. They'd understand, though, when he went to the cross and rose again, fully. So we see wisdom and grace. We see seeking Jesus. We see kingdom work. And lastly, we see increased in favor. In verse 51 and 52, it says, Then he, then Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So lastly, we see the growth and the development of Jesus. He matured from babyhood into boyhood, then adulthood. I mean, it's just wild to think about. But Joseph was out of the scene now, and it is thought that he died. So Jesus became, if you will, like the man of the family. Uh, It is uh, highly agreed upon that Jesus worked his trade, supported his family, proved himself faithful in all that he did. It says he was subject to them. He was, Jesus was obedient to his parents. Um, one, one pastor said, a child who is allowed to be disrespectful to his parents will not have true respect for anyone. A child who is allowed to be disrespectful to his parents will not have true respect for anyone. Jesus never sinned, and that includes sinning against his parents. He was perfectly obedient to the Lord and to Mary and to Joseph. And it says about Mary in this context, his mother kept all of these things in her heart. See, uh, spiritual maturity and obedience to God isn't all about how much one knows necessarily, but it's about who one is becoming. It's not necessarily about how much you know. That may be part of it, but really it's about who you are becoming. It's not about how much you know. It's about how much you spiritually, like, grow and and flourish. And it's thought that Luke found much of the information he wrote about Jesus by conducting personal interviews with Mary. But it says, Jesus increased in stature, meaning character development. You know, Jesus increased in favor with God and man. So, So Jesus grew in his relationship with the Father and in his relationship with others. 
And in the New Testament, the word favor is translated grace. So the good pleasure of God was upon Jesus. He grew through the natural and also was perfect in spiritual and and physical development, meaning at every stage, Jesus was perfect at that stage. And I can just imagine those who Jesus grew up with thinking Jesus was always seen as the favorite. Because, I mean, not, not that Mary had partiality at all, but Jesus really was sinless. He really was, like, perfect. He literally could do no wrong. And we, uh, we know like Mary had at least seven other children. A few were James, uh, Joseph, Simon, Judas, not the betraying Judas. Mary also had, had daughters who were called Jesus' sisters by people who were questioning him. But anyway, as believers, there's no point where we are perfect while on this earth. But one thing that should be happening is we should be growing spiritually. We should be growing to spiritual maturity on a regular basis by God's strength, by his sovereignty, we can't do useful, you know, we can't do anything useful spiritually without the Lord. That's that is why try harder and do more doesn't work without the Lord. Like we need him and his grace and his wisdom in order to do anything for the kingdom of God. We will continue to grow towards the Lord while we're here on this earth and and an outflow of growing in the faith is placing others first and growing in favor with others. Now, Clarifying, now this doesn't mean people-pleasing. It means to have such a strong relationship with God that you see others as valuable to God and you treat them as such. You know, It means to see people as valuable, as being created by God. Not as irritants who cut you off on the interstate, but, but God even loves you. <laughs> I'm praying for you. you know? So it's like wisdom and grace, seeking Jesus, valuable kingdom work. He increased in favor. I mean, we want to have eyes to see and ears to hear what God loves and what he hates, what he values and what he says, don't do that. You know, we want to know God's heart more and more, and that's why we go through the whole word of God. And uh, one thing that I'm just going to share ending this, it's, it's like on my, I shared this before, but just real quick, like uh, after we got married at our reception, I, I lost my wedding ring. Right, and so it, it fell off in the grass. That it was our, at a, at someone at our church, you know, uh, it was a Ted and Caroline. They let us use their backyard, and so I lost it. So when we were in on our honeymoon in Kauai, we bought another one, right? And so, but the other one was too big. So uh, my wife bought me a beautiful ring uh, from somewhere else that I had, and I just recently lost that. Now I'm not superstitious, okay? I'm not like this is a sign. No, it's not. I just lost it. Uh, I was careless, but. So uh, I got the one, she was like, where's the one from Kauai? Where's something, please? And I was like looking for it, and so I found it. I found the one that we bought in Kauai, you know, for like 30 bucks or something, and, and I put it on, and it's very valuable to me, you know? And uh, the thing is, I, I just, God values and loves people. And sometimes we can get to the point where we're just like, okay, I'm done with you, you know, and, and don't want to talk to you. Or right, right, off the, right off the bat, we kind of like, can maybe even subconsciously judge and say they're not like me, I don't want to talk to them. But we want to see everyone how God sees them, which is lost sheep, you know, people who need to be saved, people who need the Lord, people who need hope and help. In this dark world, right outside these doors, we have the light that can really penetrate their heart and save their soul and transform their mind and all of those amazing things. Like we have that truth that can set people free, that we get to give out to others. People are valuable to God, and I believe, I really believe we should see them as valuable as well. 
you know, and do all that we can to reach the lost and do all that we can to reach those who've kind of drifted away. Because I, even I love that song, the father's arms are open wide, you know, reflecting upon the prodigal son. He came home, dad wasn't ashamed, he didn't say get out of here, he didn't, you know, have his servants send him, he said come on, come over, and he gave him a hug, and he had a party for him, right? Older brother was jealous, but it was just, it, the, the son came home, and it's like, that is God's heart. So to be able to help change those preconceptions people have about God and about church and about the people who are just so jaded from maybe past experiences, but being able to share with them truly who God is, like the essence of his being, that his grace, his acceptance, his, his love. Now, he's not like, you know what, I accept your sin. No, that's not a good thing, right? He takes you in and then he cleans you up. It's a beautiful thing. And so to be able to, uh, to relay that to others. But man, they found Jesus in the temple. He was... <laughs> He was, there was questions going on. They were astonished at what he was saying. And it's like, man, like we're not out there to try to impress people with what we say, but we're out there to share truth and, and leave the statements that we make, which are scriptural, which should be scriptural, leave those statements stand. We can't force anyone to do anything, but we can share with them like, hey, this is a reality. This is the truth. This is what will set you free. This is how you are saved. There is something more than what you see that's greater than anything in this, on this earth. And it's the eternal. It's amazing. Amen?